as we uh, continue to look at the book of Proverbs, which has so much incredible wisdom in it. Uh, I want us to uh, look at the antivirus app. I get this little notice that pops up on my computer, and it, you know, it usually says right after I buy, you know, antivirus and malware and spyware and all that kind of stuff, it says 11 months until your subscription expires. Renew now at a savings, and then it's you know, 10 months, and then it's nine months and everything else. And, but uh, if you've ever let that expire, you know how quickly things can get into your computer. And, and they get into the mechanism, and they get into, they can corrupt the software, they can corrupt the hardware, they can cause your computer to crash. And so what I want us to do tonight is, is to talk about how you can keep some things from coming into your life that can corrupt you or at least damage you in such a way that it infiltrates and affects every other thing about your life. All of us have met people, you may work with them, you may see them at work tomorrow, you may go to school with them. Uh, all of us have met people that build themselves up by tearing everybody else down. And uh, they're, they're people that have the yeah, but mentality. You know, you can say something good about somebody and say, yeah, but. Uh, one of the best stories I ever heard about Billy Graham was uh, he was in a meeting back in the 50s, and Layman Strauss happened to be in that meeting. And uh, a man came into the room during the lunchtime, and he said, did you hear about so-and-so? And, -so? and uh, he immediately began to espouse how this man had fallen, this man that was in ministry had fallen and had uh, just brought an embarrassment to the kingdom. And they said, everybody turned to look at Billy Graham to see what he had to say. And he said, you know, that man preached the greatest message on the second coming I've ever heard. And immediately, some of the people that were there in the room started jumping on Billy Graham and saying, how can you say that? Did you just hear what this man did, what happened with this man? And he said, I heard what was said. But he said, I still have to say, he preached one of the greatest messages on the second coming that I've ever heard. You know, we, we choose how we respond. And quite honestly, sometimes I choose to respond the wrong way. And I, I don't think I'm alone in that. I think uh, there are oftentimes, don't look at me like I am alone in that. I'm getting a little insecure right now. I'm going to do the insecurity app here before long. Um, but I, I think it's easy for us. We get caught up in the moment and we, we feel like we need to respond quickly to things. And, and we can respond in the wrong way, say the wrong thing. And and, you know, there's just something about when something comes out of your mouth, you can't get it back. I don't know if you've noticed that with me. When it comes out, I'm sitting there going, ah, 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 and it won't come back. So how do you safeguard your life from not only the people that speak into it, but what you speak and what I speak? Uh, because we need to allow people to speak into our lives, but not people that are out to hurt us, people that are out to help us. You don't have to let everybody speak into your life if they don't have your best interests in mind. And 
And we need to be teachable, but quite honestly, we need to be careful about who we learn from. Uh, because not everybody is speaking God's wisdom. One of my favorite stories about uh, Harry Truman, who was not a popular president at the time, approval rating at 20%, sometimes dropping below, and uh, criticized for just about every decision he made, and was uh, asked one time, said, how do you handle all the critics? Because at the time when Truman said, the buck stops here, I mean, he couldn't, he was as low as any president in history at that point. And he said, how do you handle that? He said, well, I know the public is against me, but they'll come around. I mean, what, what a chance to take a shot at somebody, but he chose not to do it. Uh, in the 1948 election, uh, if you've studied history at all, or maybe you were there, uh, I was four years from being there, but maybe you were there, and uh, there was the picture, the famous picture of Truman holding up the newspaper that says, Dewey wins. Uh, Thomas Dewey was running against him, and everybody and all the money was on Dewey was going to run Truman out of office, and he would not have another term but uh, the public decided that there would be something different. Here's what Truman did at the lowest point of his approval rating. He made two decisions that you and I are impacted by even as you're breathing right now. Number one, he supported the creation of the nation of Israel. When he was at his lowest, when everybody was against Israel being formed as a nation, Truman stood against popular opinion and said they need to be a nation. Secondly, he desegregated the military. Two major decisions that have affected our country and have been a part of our history since the 1940s at a time when it would have been easy to be like a politician today and go, let me see how the polls are going today. But here's a man who had enough conviction to do what he believed was right, even if it cost him an election. Now, wouldn't that be a novel thing for a politician to do today? To do what's right, even if it cost them an election. In fact, if every politician from local to national would quit running for office every day of their lives and just govern the way we've elected them to govern, we probably wouldn't be as critical of them as we are. We kind of thought we put them in office. To, never mind, I'm not going to go down that road. I don't need to go down that road. Uh, I've told you before I don't subscribe to the paper because I don't like to read anything from people that don't have the nerve to sign their names. In fact, you can get everything in the newspaper for free except for the squawk box and car ads. So that kind of tells you what you're paying for when you subscribe to the newspaper. You're paying for criticism and for car ads. Just a thought. I don't read movie reviews. I did read one the other day, this guy that's the environmental lawyer who wrote this long blog on Sherwood had a chance to make a movie that was environmentally friendly, but we like big trucks. <laughs> That's because we in the South, brother. <laughs> and we like them with gun racks, too. <laughs> and if we could get away with it, we'd shoot from them things. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> you know, but I mean, this guy was upset because he said, when, you know, when 
when Ken threw that can into that garbage can, if it would just have been a recycle bin. <laughs> Do any of you have a recycle bin in your backyard? Probably not. You know, I mean, that's what, you know, in praying through the movie, God somehow, it's your fault, Stephen. It's absolutely all your fault. <laughs> so I gave him your cell phone number if he calls you. <laughs> I want to give you some principles to download, and these are just some, some thoughts as I was going through and thinking about criticism. First of all, if men speak ill of you, live so that no one will believe them. If somebody speaks ill of you, live so that no one will believe them. In other words, don't give your enemies ammunition. The second one, to reply to a nasty remark with another nasty remark is like trying to remove dirt with mud. To reply to a nasty remark with another nasty remark is like trying to remove dirt with mud. I mean, you just, you just don't win. Now, all of us have tried to respond to a nasty remark with another nasty remark. And at the end of the day, we think that didn't change anything. Thirdly, I love this one. When people kick us, it's a sign we're in front of them. Now that one's good. <laughs> you can go to town with that one. When somebody kicks you, it's a sign you're in front of them. Next, empty barrels make the most noise. You can wallow around inside an empty barrel a long time and make a lot of noise. I think this is a key one. Look beyond the critic and see the judge who sits on the throne. Look beyond the critic and see the judge who sits on the throne. And then one of my favorite sayings that uh, Jimmy Draper taught me probably 35 years ago is that the truth doesn't need defending. The truth doesn't need defending. And here's what I mean by that. You don't have to defend it to your friends and your enemies won't believe it anyway. The truth doesn't need defending. Proverbs chapter 15. In fact, almost every page of Proverbs talks about how you handle criticism. Proverbs chapter 15 in verse 1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Now, I want you to turn to Proverbs 26, Proverbs 26, and there is a principle here that would cause a lot of what gets us anxious in life calm down. And, and uh, if you're like me, you know, I mean, I, maybe you're probably not like me, but, you know, I, I'm one of those people, I remember Jerry Clara said one time, if God would just let me be in charge for five minutes, I could fix a lot of the problems in this world. 
Well, God's not let Jerry Clara be in charge. He's not let me be in charge. But sometimes we want to take over and be in charge. Look at Proverbs 26 and verse 17. <laughs> this is a good verse. Like one who takes a dog by the ears is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. You know what the principle is there? If it's not your problem, don't get involved in it. Just keep walking. If it's not something that involves you or something that you have the facts about, or you know, don't get involved in it. Don't get sucked into that conversation. Just keep moving. Just keep walking. It, it, like the one who takes a dog by the ears is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. The playwright George Bernard Shaw said, if the other planets are inhabited, they're using the earth for their insane asylum. Linus and Peanut said, I love mankind. It's just people I can't stand. You see, if you hear somebody stirring something up, it's okay for you to just keep moving. Unless you know the facts, don't get drawn into that conversation. Just keep going. As one person said, I've never had to apologize for anything I didn't say. When Jesus was on trial in the last hours of his life, the one who had no sin, it says he spoke not a word. He didn't defend himself, although he had no sin. Proverbs tells about five different kind of people, the wise, the wicked, the fool, the simple, and the scorner. And it depends on the kind of person you listen to, whether the wise, the wicked, the fool, the despiser, the scorner, how you begin to think and how you begin to respond to life. You want people that will speak truth into your life, that will speak good things into you. Uh, I had a trip this week, a lot of trips this past week, but uh, I was driving from Mobile to Atlanta for a one cry meeting and uh, Byron Paulus and Bill Elliff were riding with me. And so we had 150 miles from Mobile to Montgomery. We got out and found a five guys. Lord, please send one to Albany. Just one five guys because we want to eat potatoes to the glory of God. <laughs> And then we drove another 150 miles to stay at a hotel down by the airport. I want to tell you, the conversation in that car was rich. Because here's just three guys that have a heart for revival and a heart for the Lord, and we're just iron sharpening iron in our conversations. We're just talking about what we want to see God do with our lives. Uh, uh, Bill's 60, Byron's 61, and I turn 59 next month, and so we're all sitting here looking at this point in our life saying, what is it we want God to do with us over the course of the rest of our life? A great conversation. A lot of times when I take trips, I take a staff member with me, and it gives me the opportunity just to have conversations with a particular staff member about what's going on in their life and, and in their ministry. And, and it's an encouraging time for me just to be able to spend time with them uh, when we first started doing the movies, there have been some times when it's been Alex and Stephen and me and Jim. In fact, I remember somebody asked me about the love there one time. I said, well, I can tell you where one chapter was written. It was in the back of a Ford Explorer. 
and Alex had a computer and he's working on one chapter and Stephen's working on another chapter and they're ironing each other. And, and Stephen says, this is always true. And then Alex says, is it really always true? It's always true. And so then Stephen gets his Bible out and says, it's always true. See right here, it's always true. And Jim and I are in the front seat just trying to stay out of the conversation. <laughs> did we stay out of that conversation or did we get in the middle? We got in the middle of that one, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we did. I just, yeah, I remembered we got in the middle of that one. Well, let me move on before I have to confess something. <laughs> Proverbs 14 and verse 15. Now, if this verse doesn't describe the American public, Proverbs 14, 15, the naive believes everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. I mean, there's some people you can tell anything to, and they'll believe it. I mean, they'll just fall for it hook, line, and sinker because they're naive. They don't have any ability to discern Brooks Atkinson writes, people everywhere enjoy believing things they know are not true. It spares them the ordeal of thinking for themselves and taking responsibility for what they know. Sometimes it's just easier to believe a lie than to search out and see if there's the truth behind it. Chapter 15 and verse 2, he tells us that fools can't control their speech. In chapter 18 and verse 13, if you want to look at that, chapter 18 and verse 13. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. It's one of the things, you know, if you ever hear anything, have you ever heard this? There are two sides to every story. You ever heard that? Have you ever spoken when you just knew one side of the story and then when you got the other side, you went, uh-oh. Maybe I, maybe I didn't have all the facts there. There are always two sides to every story. Now, sometimes the two sides are in agreement. But you see, Proverbs is telling us before we speak to make sure you know the facts of the situation. So let me just give you some references. We won't turn to these verses. You can write them down. Lies and slander are what fools specialize in. That's chapter 10 and verse 18. Lies and slander are what foolish people specialize in. Chapter 10 and verse 18. Chapter 14 and verse 7 and 8 says the wise person won't stay around to listen to it. The wise person will not stay around to listen to it. Here's the truth that you know. A gossip and a critic can ruin a reputation with one phone call. And another truth you need to remember, never underestimate the power of words. Do you realize that for every word in Hitler's Mein Kampf that 125 people died? For every word that Hitler put pen to paper, it cost 125 people their lives. Words are powerful. Solomon said, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Chapter 18 and verse 21, James compared the tongue to a destroying fire, a dangerous beast, and a deadly poison in James chapter 3. 
The American journalist Will Norris had a little rhyme that said, if your lips would keep from slips, five things you must observe with care to know who you, whom you speak, of whom you speak, and how, and when, and where. Remember when you were a kid, you learned this little line, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yes, they do. Sticks and stones hurt and words hurt. And there's not a person in this room that's lived for any length of time that hasn't heard hurtful words. One of the best books I've ever read and one of the best sermons ever preached in this church was Tom Ellis' Sermon on the Curse of Words and how words can break us and put us in bondage and can destroy people just by something that someone says carelessly. When I was in uh, middle school, there was a guy that uh, his mom worked for my dad. They were poorer than we were. And so my mom and dad, he was about two years younger than me, and I'd outgrown something, and so I gave it to him. Uh, We just, at the store, gave it to his mom who worked for us and said, take this home and and let Stan have it. And so I gave it to him. Well, he was at church the next week, and there were a bunch of teenagers standing around, and I didn't think anything about it. And I said, well, you like wearing my hand-me-downs? And I saw his face just drop. You see, something came out that hurt a younger kid that I didn't have to say. And I've wondered sometimes what happened to him and if somewhere in his heart, because I know the financial condition of that family, if every time he gets something that's secondhand, that he's reminded of my words that were not kind at the moment. So I want to give you some uh, principles and apps to download. First of all, evaluate. Evaluate. Evaluate your thoughts and evaluate your speech. And before you speak, you need to evaluate some things. First of all, is it true? Is it true? Turn to Proverbs 18 and verse 7. Proverbs 18 and verse 7. I want to read it out of the message because... It just captures the the spirit of these verses. Proverbs 18 and verse 7 says, Fools are undone by their big mouths. Their souls are crushed by their words. Listening to gossip is like eating cheap candy. Do you really want junk like that in your belly? You see, trash talking and, and, and talking about other people and trashing a church. One of the common characteristics of criticism is it's either false or it usually contains only half a truth. Is it true? Second question, is it honest? Is it honest? Or have you manipulated the information to your advantage? Is it true? Is it honest? Number three, is it important? Is it important? By the way, Al Gore doesn't know this, and I am really hoping that I win the Nobel Peace Prize because I've discovered that the cause of global warming 
is hot air. Created by human beings. I know that's simple, but it is so profound. And if he can invent the internet, I can get a Nobel Peace Prize for coming up with my theory on global warming. You know, is it important? Proverbs 10, 19. Proverbs 10, 19. Again in the message. The more talk, the less truth. The wise measure their words. The speech of a good person is worth waiting for. The blabberer of the wicked is worthless. The talk of a good person is rich fare for many, but chatterboxes die of an empty heart. Is it important? Number four, is it necessary? Is it necessary? Proverbs 18 and verse 6. Proverbs 18 and verse 6. Is it necessary? A fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth calls for blows. Number five, is it kind? Is it kind? We just got folks in our culture, and by the way, the news media is pouring gas on this. They just like to be mean. I mean, and they just, you know, they're not even civil with each other. And you see people that don't even listen to somebody else, and they argue, and they butt heads, and you say, why can't you guys get, oh, we're friends. We just disagree. And, you know, part of why we can't listen to each other and part of why we have a hard time even sharing our faith is because we live in a world where the first thought that comes out of most people's mouth is not a kind one. I mean, let's face it. Watch the news, and basically all you're going to have is critical thoughts. That's why I don't watch it much anymore because, you know, really nothing's changed. Somebody's trying to blow us up. Somebody's mishandled our money. Somebody spent my retirement. Somebody's going to take health care away from me. Somebody doesn't like what's going on. Somebody's attacking the church. I mean, the, the names change, but the headlines are always the same. And so if I let that dominate my mind, and if that's on all the time, I, I've got a friend of mine that every time I'm around him, he turns on the news channel to see what his stocks are doing, as if watching that hour after hour after hour is going to add $1 to his retirement fund. It just creates anxiety, and it just creates an upheaval in somebody, and, and people begin to talk, and you begin to panic. Is it kind Second thing that I want you to see is to download is expression. Not just what you say, but, but how you say it. Don't, don't answer, this is a great principle, and sometimes I need to work on this one. Don't answer the critic in the tone of a critic. Don't answer the critic in the tone of a critic. Expression. And then eternity. Let me just give you the reference. Psalms 19 and verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord God, my rock and my redeemer. 
You see, with a word, a judge can sentence a person to jail or to death. And what we speak needs to be spoken of in light of eternity. I found a thing that John Maxwell sent out a few weeks ago, and it was just so practical. It was an article that he sent out called, When the Crowd Boos. You ever, you ever notice how, I know your team doesn't do this, but have you ever noticed how if something doesn't go right according to some fan that would never be asked to be a walk-on on any team in America, starts booing when he doesn't like the call of the coach. You know, now they got the T-shirt, they went to the tailgate party, and so they believe that getting the T-shirt and going to the tailgate party and buying the ticket allows them to boo and to yell profanities at people. I was talking to uh, one of the SEC coaches' wives several months ago, and she said, you know, she said, when, when we pulled in, they were visiting at another school, another SEC school. said, when we pulled in, she said, when we heard the words coming out of people's mouth, and she said, I'm talking about freshmen and sophomore in college and adults all around them and the drunkenness and the profanity and the vileness that was coming out of their mouth. She said, it just broke my heart. I thought, this is not a sport. This is a God that these people are worshiping and obsessed with. So what do you do when the crowd boos? What do you do when the crowd questions a decision? What do you do when the crowd disagrees with you on something that you do or on something that you say? How do you respond to that? I want to give you the four things that Maxwell said, and I think they're really good. Number one, know yourself. Know yourself. Because if you're breathing, you're going to get criticized. Aristotle said, criticism is something you can easily avoid by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. Know yourself. And know yourself means being honest with yourself and knowing that people that love you will tell you the truth, but there are others that are just trying to hurt you. Secondly, change yourself. Huxley says, the truth that makes us free is for the most part the truth we prefer not to hear. And so John gave a series of questions to ask to determine whether criticism is constructive or destructive. First question is, who criticized me? Who criticized me? Where did it come from? Did it come from somebody that's trying to help me, or did it just come out of the blue from somebody that just decided to take a cheap shot? Second question is, why was the criticism given? Was it intended to help me grow and learn and develop, or was it given to try to cut me down? Why was the criticism given? Next question is, is there a morsel of truth in it? Is there something here God's trying to teach me? Is there a lesson I need to learn? Is, is there a morsel of truth in this? The next was, are there changes I need to make? Are there changes I need to make? When I was uh, writing one of the power books, I sent it to a friend of mine to look over and to give me his input on it. And he sent me back an email a couple of days later, and he said, you mentioned this and this person on this page. He said, 
I ask you one question. Have you talked to that person personally about that? And I sent it back and I said, no. And he said, here's what we practice in our ministry. If you haven't talked about it personally with them, you never put it in print that you are critical of what they are doing. You've either talked to them about it, you've written them a letter, you've in some way communicated to them that you have issues with something that's going on there. So I took it out of the book. And I thought it was a good point. But somebody that loved me and cared about me said, wait a minute, what? You know, you're not going to lose anything in that chapter if you take that two paragraphs out. And so I did. I took it out because somebody was telling me that there was a change that I needed to make. Do you always take the high road? Do you get defensive? Or do you turn it into something that you need to pray about? So know yourself, change yourself. Thirdly, accept yourself. Don't try to be what everybody else wants you to be. You've got to accept who you are and then learn how to grow and mature as who you are. And then fourthly, forget yourself. Forget yourself. I love this one. <laughs> forget yourself. The Chinese proverb says, blessed are those who can laugh at themselves. They shall never cease to be entertained. <laughs> I mean, really, have you ever seen yourself when you got up in the morning? <laughs> Just laugh. <laughs> I mean, God loves you anyway. <laughs> Before you get your appearances up for us and before I get my appearances up for you I mean you know most of us when we get up in the morning it's nasty I mean it's just nasty and if we don't look nasty our breath is nasty <laughs> you see all these little things now we've got these products that you can wake up in the morning and you don't have bad breath yeah right yeah uh-huh don't get too close if you haven't brushed your teeth <laughs> just accept yourself and forget yourself one of my favorite stories is the story of Teddy Roosevelt, the man in the arena. He said, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly who errs and comes short again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. In just a moment, we're going to take the elements of the Lord's Supper. And as we do, these symbols of the blood and the body of Jesus Christ are going to go across our lips and our tongue and down our throats. Small, symbolic, but they are a reminder to us of what Christ did for us. And maybe as we leave this place, what we need to think is two things. First of all, if I'm going to come and take the Lord's Supper, 
And by doing that, I am remembering the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what he did for me in his body and his blood. Then as I do that, I also need to remember that I am to represent him with what comes out of my mouth because the tongue is attached to the heart. And so I need to remember not only what I'm taking in and what it represents, but what comes out of me as I speak. You know what? This is a battle for everybody. I don't know anybody that doesn't have a battle with this. I don't know anybody that doesn't have a battle with this. Because at the end of the day, we always want to defend ourselves. We always want to prove that we're right. We always want to stand up for our principles. We, we just, that's what we want to do. That's our DNA. That's, that's our flesh that wants its way. But when you read the New Testament, it's about turning the other cheek and it's about going the second mile and it's about speaking the truth in love and walking and talking humbly before the Lord and letting the peace of God rule in our hearts. And when that happens, then our tongue begins to be impacted and affected and we think a little more about what we say. There are neighbors that overhear conversations that we have in our yards. There are people that overhear conversations at the next desk. There are people that listen to us when we're sitting in an airport waiting for a flight. There are children who hear our conversations about other adults. And it affects how they think about those adults because they lack the wisdom and discernment to know when something should be said or shouldn't be said. And so really the model for them has to be us. You know, I was an adult before I knew that my parents had issues with certain people. They did a lot of things that I wish they had done differently. But I'll tell you one thing. I never heard them talk negatively about anybody that was an adult in front of me. Now, they talked about some of my friends that they didn't like that I was hanging around with. But they never talked about an adult in front of me because they, they decided that wasn't my business. That was their business. They never talked about customers that stiffed them that didn't pay their bills although I worked for my dad from the time I was nine until the time I went off to to college after two years of junior college they never talked about people that didn't pay their bills not one time that I can remember that they did when my mom died and my dad died and I was looking through their old book they had an old ledger where they kept you know debits and credits and all that kind of stuff thousands of dollars that people still owed them and my dad's business had been closed for 15 to 20 years not one time did they ever say you know those people owe me money and some of them were people that went to church with them those people owe me money when my dad died and I was cleaning out his house I found a note that had been written in 19 1962 
from a couple that had borrowed money from my dad and had said that they would pay interest on it. And in 62, they were going to pay 5% interest. I don't know what the interest rate was then, but they were going to pay 5% interest on that money and pay. It's just a handwritten note. My dad learned about loaning money to people. It's just a handwritten note that said we will pay interest. That was in 1962. My dad died in 1998. Not one penny of that had ever been paid. And he never trashed them. He never ran them down. He never said, I can't believe those people did that to me. And I don't, I don't know why I've thought about that recently, but I've just thought about the fact that you can know something and it be true, but it doesn't always mean you need to share it. Because the truth is, is everybody knew about you and about me, what God knows about you and me, we'd all be embarrassed. And God knows it all. And he hid it under the cross. And he buried it in a sea of forgetfulness. And he took it and he cast it as far as east is from west and he remembers it no more. So if God can do that with what he knows about me and what I did to his son, then I need to learn, even at this point in my life, I still need to learn how to let things die. Amen. Let's pray together. In just a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to come and to take these elements of the Lord's Supper, and then when you're through, you're free to go. You can come as a family or... You can come as an individual if some of you are young people or singles are here and you don't have family here. You can come with some of your friends in just a few minutes. But as we take these elements, let's remember that one of the greatest things that was ever spoken was when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Our God knows the worst about us, and yet he still loves us. Our critics don't know everything about us. In fact, if they knew everything about us, they'd have more to criticize us about. And our job is not to defend ourselves as much as it is to walk in integrity and to let God be our defense, our advocate in this world and so I'm going to pray and then we're going to have an opportunity to take these elements and as we do I'm going to pray for you right now because some of you are going to be with family members in the next few days that don't know the Lord that are not walking with God that are away from God it may be your own children it may be a spouse it may be a cousin and or a grandparent, or an aunt, or an uncle, but there's somebody, and they're not where they need to be spiritually. And here's what I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God will give you the words you need to say in every situation and encounter that you have during those days. And I'm going to pray that God will give you the wisdom to know when to not respond and just let it go. 
because you know sometimes it's the people that are closest to us that rub us the most and we feel like we've always got to get the last word in but maybe God in this holiday season needs to just temper our tongues just a little bit we say or don't say as God directs Father we bless your name for this day for what you've done in our midst for what you've done in people's hearts and lives this has been a good day to be in your house we've been blessed to worship you to see people baptized to hear your word and to respond to it I thank you for the folks here tonight and I pray that you would bless them with wisdom, with discernment, with kindness that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight that we would not succumb to vain and foolish arguments that solve nothing and only frustrate us Lord, in a world full of lies, they need to hear truth. In a world full of critics, we need to be kind. It is your kindness that leads to repentance. And so, Father, I pray that as we download this into our life and as we activate it, that it'll be running in the background all day long tomorrow and the next day and the next and that we will weigh our words in light of eternity in Jesus name Amen you come when you're ready